couple of words before we read our scripture passage today. I have a friend who's a therapist, a psychotherapist, and uh, all week long he sits in his office and people come to him and they talk about their problems. And I asked him one time, what's the most common problem that you hear from people? What's the biggest problem that people struggle with? And he answered with one word, fear. Fear. Usually we call it something different like anxiety or worry, but it basically, at the bottom, it's fear. Fear of the future and what's happening in our life. It can happen at any time in your life. High school kids that graduate or have some fear and anxiety about going away to college. College graduates have anxiety or fear about entering the job market. Parents have fear about how their kids are going to turn out. As you get older, you have fears about your body breaking down. So that's why the passage that we're going to read is so important. Because it is Paul's antidote to fear. It's something to remind ourselves over and over and over again when we find ourselves entering a place of fear or anxiety in our own lives. So here's this beautiful passage from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who were doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. So one of the big questions of human existence is the question, what will happen to you on the day that you die? What will happen on the day that your physical body is dead? There are two big answers to this question. The first is the answer given by the group of people you could call them the new atheists, people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, the late Christopher Hitchens, people who write books saying how dumb it is to believe in God. And their answer is nothing. Nothing happens on the day you die. That's it. It's over. The light is out. The play is over. Uh, it's not a new idea, obviously. People have had it for years. It was expressed very well by Shakespeare in the famous quote from his play Macbeth. Remember these words? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow 
creeps in this petty pace from day to day, to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So that's one answer. The other answer is from the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and you could call it the Christian hope. And the answer is that when you die, when your physical body is is gone, that the essence of who you are, we, we call it the soul or the spirit, returns to where you came from originally, returns to God. And that you go to live with God forever in eternity, and the individuality of who you are is retained. You're not a drop of water going into the ocean like some religions teach. You're actually an individual, and the individuality of you returns to God and lives in a glorious place with him forever. That's the Christian answer to, to, the, to the question. So, how do you feel about the future? When you think of the future, when you think of your eventual demise, is it future tense or future relaxed? <laughs> Mickey Newbury, one of my favorite country singers, has a song called The Future's Not What It Used to Be. Future is not what it used to be. That pretty well sums up the tenseness that many people experience when thinking of the future. Some day in the future, some historian is going to look at our culture and is going to discover a thing that we have called Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. You know what it is. If anything can go wrong, it will. Then there's a lot of other variations on it. If nothing can go wrong, it will anyway. Everything takes longer than you think. That's, I know this to be true from home improvement projects. The other line always moves faster. The probability of a peanut butter sandwich falling on the carpet face up is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet. The light at the end of the tunnel is probably an oncoming train. And the real clincher, Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> Murphy's Law is amply illustrated in a cartoon that I saw one time. Multi-panel cartoon. The first panel, there's a guy crawling through the desert. He's crawling and he's dying of thirst. The second panel, he comes to a little guy with a stand. And it's, he's selling neckties. The guy says... Do you want to buy a necktie? And he says, no, I just need some water. So third panel, he goes on, he's crawling. He comes to this beautiful restaurant in the middle of the desert. And he crawls up to the doorman and he says, I've got to have some water. And the doorman says, sorry, gentlemen not admitted without neckties. <laughs> it's hard to know what you're going to need, isn't it, in the future? hard for us to know exactly what we need to be able to handle the future. That's why I love this promise that we read today. What no man has seen, nor ear heard, 
They're the heart of man conceived. God is prepared for those who love him. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. We can't even imagine all the good things that await us as children of God. It's hard for us to even imagine. So a couple of comments on this theme. First of all, uh, the Bible tells us that this world is a foretaste of greater things to come. That this world is just sort of a, you know, a sampler of greater things that will come. The reason that we have difficulty imagining what the next world is going to be like is it's hard for us to imagine anything better than this, right? It's hard for us to imagine. I mean, when we experience beauty, when you, when you drive through Big Sur or you, you drive into Yosemite Valley and you see this, you think, wow, what could be more beautiful than this? Or when you experience the excitement of falling in love, you think, what could be more exciting than that? Or you experience the emotion of seeing a baby born. What could be more meaningful than that? How can heaven beat this, we wonder? Let me take a little survey here this morning. How many people here would like to go to heaven when you die? Can we see your hands, please? Okay. All right. How many want to go today? There's always a big difference in those votes. Always a big difference. I don't feel bad about it. I don't want to go today either. But it's interesting. We want to go, but we love, we've fallen in love with the earth, haven't we? We've fallen in love with life. There are many things here that we do not want to say goodbye to just yet. Heaven may be great, but we're pretty fond of this world too. But the Bible says that this world is just a foretaste of things to come. You may have heard the story about the lady who died, went to heaven, and she gets there, and it's fabulous. She just loves it. A few years later, her husband dies. He goes up to heaven and joins her, and she's showing him around, and they're both just saying how fabulous it is. And the husband says, yeah, but Mabel, if it hadn't been for your health food, we could have been here years ago. We want to go, but maybe not quite yet. I read of a little church in Ireland that was on the edge of a lake with these beautiful green rolling hills. And the church had gorgeous uh, stained glass windows, like we do here. But they decided to leave one of the windows clear glass, plain glass. And underneath it, they wrote a little inscription from the scripture that said, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. The stained glass windows were beautiful, but there's nothing more beautiful than the creation that God has made in this world. Dorothy Gardner, in her book, Eastward in Eden, puts it like this. Sometimes when I'm working in my garden, when the day is hot and still, I am transported to another world. The hum of bees seem like singing wires from eternity. It is as though a message were trying to come through, and I know what it means, but I can't hear the words. I like to think that my garden is heaven, but I know it is only evidence of heaven. The beauty and glory of this world are but a foretaste of the wondrous things that await us. The love of our family and friends 
are but a pale shadow of the love that God has in store for us. Can we get our mind around that? And the most beautiful music in this world, whether it be Bach or the Rolling Stones, is nothing compared to the music of God. Everything in this world is but an inferior imitation of that which is coming. And then secondly, we anticipate the future. I heard of a painter who was so paranoid about anybody seeing his work before it was finished that every time he left the studio, he would put a sheet over his painting that he was working on with the words, wait and see. Didn't want anybody to get a look until it was just finished. That's Paul's word for us. Wait and see. We enjoy a foretaste of what we anticipate in the future. Now, I know that this topic, talking in today's world about heaven, can seem a little kind of corny, a little archaic, a little bit weird. And I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, when I was growing up, we sang all these hymns about heaven in the church that I was raised in. Heaven holds all for me. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Those kind of songs. We don't sing them much anymore. Why? Because I think it just seems a little bit out of place in today's world. I think there are two reasons, perhaps. First of all, it is true that throughout history, the talking about the next world has in some ways disempowered people from improving this world. Some people felt like that the, 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 when the slaves adopted Christianity and began uh, thinking about heaven and where they're going to go, that it took away the power, the impetus for them to change their situation here. That's what Karl Marx believed. He called religion the opiate of the people because it can kind of drug you into not worrying or caring about the problems of this world. So that's one thing we have to be aware of and, and, and concerned about. The other problem with this topic is our, our cultural notion of what heaven is. When I say the word heaven, what are the images that come to your mind? In our, in our world, it's weird stuff like angels, wings, clouds, harps, sorry Steve, harps, um, Peter standing with the pearly gates and a little desk there. It's all out of a New Yorker cartoon. It's all in New Yorker cartoon images. Of, what, what, what other images do we have other than this kind of stuff? It's, it, it's made it difficult to talk about. I came across, though, a definition of heaven that I'm going to share with you that I think is way better than all those corny things. Imagine this. What is heaven really like? Imagine the best there can be, and it's better. Imagine the most beautiful there is, and it's better. If imagination is hard for you, how about math? Take the best day you ever had, add it to your tenderest moment, multiply that by the best thing you ever did, then add the greatest joy you've ever experienced and the most noble desire you ever had. Now multiply that by 1,500, take it to the power of the cube, and you will have some of the dimension of heaven. If math is hard for you, how about a picture? Picture a world where every person makes a difference. Each makes a contribution. And everybody knows life is better because of the gifts each brings. Picture a world where every unblessed child has a beaming parent telling people on the street, this child is mine and I'm so proud of her. 
Picture a world where every abused spouse experiences only gentle touches and kind words and knows the joy of fearless love. Picture a world where every poor soul who craved the addictive and was enslaved to the destructive has been set free and never feels those death-dealing compulsions again. Imagine a world where there is more than enough food for everybody and none of it ever goes to waste. Imagine a world where everybody has a room and everyone is perfectly content with the place that was made just for them. Now that's something to look forward to. And so lastly, our hope comes to us only by faith. Paul mentions in this text that you can't get there by logic. You can't get there by science. The only way to come to the Christian hope is through faith. To choose to believe that. To, to throw your chances with that great hope. That's how we get there. Hope comes through faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith we understand this hope. He makes it clear in our text that it is only through uh, faith that we can get there. He says that uh, it's the only way that we can live without fear is to have this faith that God has laid out for us. Heard the story of an Episcopal bishop who was dying he was on his deathbed, and his friend sat in a chair right next to him. He said, Bishop, tell me the truth. Are you, do you fear crossing the river of death? And the bishop said, no, no. My father owns the land on both sides of the river. So why should I be afraid to cross? That's our hope, folks. God owns the land on both sides of the river. Right now, and on the other side. The only way you can come to that is by faith. That's why we need to remember this verse. What no eye has seen or heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. There's a song that they sing at funerals a lot, and uh, Steve and Andrew are going to play it for you. And it's a good choice because it, it shows you exactly what I've been talking about. The idea of hope that when our bodies fail, God will carry our spirit home. 